Take your Bibles, if you would, please. Or your technology, whatever's quicker. And follow along as I read two texts this morning. First of all, I'm reading from Romans chapter 13. I'm going to read the first six verses. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are the servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Remind them to be, in sub, to be subject to rulers, to authority, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Let us pray. <clears throat> Our Father in God, we come before you this morning and ask for your guidance and direction. Father, you know that this pulpit has stood for the truth of the word of God since its foundation. And I pray, Father, that we would never waver from the word of God I pray, Father, that the Spirit of God would have full liberty to work in and through me today, and that as your word is spoken and as this message is given, that, Father, only rightly divided word of truth would come forth. I pray, Father, that it would be practical in our lives so that as we live here as pilgrims, we might live for the glory of God. Thank you for this opportunity. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I forgot to turn on the microphone. Is it on, Dave? Thank you. Actually, I've entitled today's message, let me give you the title first of all, because it's not in your bulletin, nor am I in your bulletin. That's why I'm standing here. Um, but I've entitled it based upon the study that we have been doing in Peter from 1 Peter chapter 4, which is where we have been 
expounding the word of God. And I took it actually as I pondered it in my prayers from what we studied in verse 7 of chapter 4. So my message title is Be of Sound Judgment and Pray. Be of Sound Judgment and Pray. Now, why I mentioned about my being here, to those that are visiting here, what's going on? Um, I am on vacation. <laughs> In case you didn't know that, I am. Um, and I, could, I would ask that you keep us in prayer this week. We are having a family reunion. Um, my entire family, they're coming in from different parts of the country. We try to get together twice uh, every other year. It's not an easy thing to do. There's currently 24 of us, um, and it is a real blessing, and we're able to do that. Um, but while I'm technically on vacation, I really felt burdened to be here today, and you'll see why in a moment. Um, and so Chris was prepared. It isn't that he didn't have the message. It was prepared. He and I spoke yesterday, and I kind of kicked him out of the pulpit, uh, so to speak, <laughs> very graciously, and he was willing for it. We are normally studying in our exposition, First Peter, and actually this message will lead itself right into our next text in First Peter, uh, so we will continue with that. However, why am I here as a pastor on vacation? Why am I here standing in this pulpit today when I'm not scheduled to be here? It's because of the heavy burden that I have in my heart and I feel it's such a crucial point in our history I must be here. This past week, the Supreme Court passed a ruling on Friday of same-sex marriage. And I feel obligated before the Lord to speak on this matter and for you to be informed biblically and instructed properly. And so I could not live with myself even going away to be on vacation with such a crucial point in time. The reactions to this ruling have been amazing. I have, for the past two days, been watching and been reading. And I have been looking on the internet as well. I have watched politicians particularly in this state, but in others as well, rejoicing beyond comparison and cheering for the ruling. I watched a senator from our state of Massachusetts publicly stand and not only cheer, but I quote, she said, yesterday Massachusetts, today, the USA, tomorrow the world, end quote. And I watched it myself. On the other hand, there have been conservatives, both politically and just personally, around the world who have react, reacted to the situation in all types of ways 
including defaming and maligning leadership and this country over the ruling that came out. I also have witnessed all over the world, not that I traveled it in the last two days, but I did by way of internet, that there are other countries of the world rejoicing over this ruling that came out because it is the basis for which they now may and can and will make adjustments in their own countries. How does this impact me? How does this impact you? How does this impact us as a church, if at all? I think that needs to be answered. I personally believe that the study of 1 Peter, I want you to understand and see the sovereignty of God right now. You've heard it from me many times. But I prayerfully consider and I study as diligently as I can in preparation to expound the word of God to you. And I believe God is sovereign even in the way it goes in this church. And I believe while some of you wish 1 Peter was done two years ago and it is still going on, I again see the sovereign hand of God in what we have studied and in what we are about to study, not today, but in the following message. It is a big help to have already studied what we have in 1 Peter, which is why I drew my title from there. This that we are dealing with now is the practical side of the theology that has been preached. This is where we live. This is where we are to be. We are to keep sound thinking as Christians. We are not citizens of this world. We are aliens. And I've joked about it and you've heard it, but forget Hollywood. The aliens are looking at me and I'm looking at them. We are aliens to this world by biblical accounts. This is not our home. We are merely passing through as pilgrims. We should expect persecution if we are living godly. How are we to live as believers? First Peter has been instructing the believers over and over again, and you've been sitting through it for a long period of time through the first four chapters already. That's been telling you how we are to live in the midst of persecution and as pilgrims, and here we are. My approach to this message is I have prayed upon it and I've only had two days, and my wife knows this is true as well as my daughter. I was up last night and up again first thing this morning, even in praying for us and in praying for what would be delivered. I cannot possibly, in one message, address everything that needs to be addressed here this morning, but I must respond, and I will do so. And what is the response? I have broken it down into three areas that I think are important, and please do not get bored with part of it. I think it's essential. 
I will start by dealing with fundamental statements that I think we need to understand that are fundamental. I will then address the decision that was made by the Supreme Court and its implications. And then thirdly end with, now what? How do we respond? What do we do? And I will do my best in a condensed form to address what I feel can be appropriately addressed in one message. Fundamentals. We begin with God. If we don't begin there, folks, we have no beginning. God, don't lose track of it, is sovereign. He is over the affairs of men no matter what men think. In Isaiah, the 40th chapter, he says that the nations are as a drop in the bucket. They are as a dust on the scale. They are not as significant as they think they are. God is still ultimately in control. I want to make some other statements there, and I have read the passage to you this morning purposely. God created man. There is no evolution of man. We have been created. We have been created unique in the image and likeness of God. That is a gift, folks. You had nothing to do with coming into this world. Absolutely nothing. And you will have nothing to do to prevent you from going out of it either. It is a gift. God, in creating man in his image and likeness, created man male and female. That is fundamental and it is a fact. Marriage, by God's design, is a gift. It is a gift for man and a woman by God's design and declaration. Children are a byproduct of the relationship between man and women. We ought to be fruitful and multiply. God designated it as so, and children by the scriptures are a gift from God. He makes the rules. Not Pastor Dan, not you, nor any government in this world. God is the one who makes the rules. All governments, all, not just the United States of America, communist governments, you can go into any type of government that you want, all are under him and will answer to him. For what do they do? It is also too under, important to understand fundamentally, and I will use Jesus Christ as the example. Jesus did not come into this world to try to change nor overthrow the governments. That is not why he came here. He didn't come to overthrow Rome or to change it. He came to live the truth and to be a witness and testimony to the true living God and to be the sacrifice for sin. Nor are you and I here with our purpose to change the government or to Christianize the government. Those are fundamentals. Government, 
some fundamentals with it. And I understand that I would be referring to scripture, but for the purpose of it, that is for the most part what I will do. And some of this may be a little bit academic to you, but it's important. Government. All government is allowed by God. Why? I read it in Romans. Government, whether they realize it or not, are for the betterment of man. We should be under a theocracy, but we didn't want it. Man does not want it. Whether or not the government realize it or not, biblically, they are there for the protection of the citizens of those that they are governing. They are there to maintain the peace, clearly said in Romans chapter 13. They, by God's own spokesman, meaning himself, have been identified as his ministers here on earth. They may or may not see it that way. They, meaning the government and its leaders, are to be obeyed, prayed for, and honored. They are not to be maligned, and they are not to be in any way, shape, or form, especially by believers, joked about or disrespected. They are to be resisted only when they violate the commands of God, and that is important to hold on to. And as I already said, and it may be a couple of times I will repeat myself, they will answer to God. They are responsible, whether they realize it or not, they are responsible to carry out justice. They are responsible to carry out, as identified in not just Romans, but Romans this morning, they are there to protect the righteous. They are designed by God to protect those who are law-abiding citizens who are living for righteousness' sake, so that when we do what is right, we do not fear them. They are not there to protect the evil by God's design. Fundamental. Supreme Court, I'm now dealing with the United States of America. They are the third branch of our government and designed to be the balance of power. We have the executive branch, we have Congress, and we have the legislative branch. We have the judicial system there as a protection. Their power, and I have read it again this week to make sure I was correct, their power is to check, according to the reading I did, and I put that in quotes, the President of the United States and Congress. They are to make sure, their job is to make sure that they are playing by the rules, especially in relationship to the highest law of our land, meaning our Constitution. That is what they are there for. You'll pardon this illustration, but it came clear to me when I saw it in its own definition that I read. They are the referee. They are a referee over all. 
They are a referee over you and me as citizens. They are a referee over the politicians. And they are even the referee over all corporate organizations to make sure that in the United States of America, we are following the Constitution and the highest law of our land. They are, and this needs to be underscored, they are the highest court of our land. There is no other appeal court other than to God. In our particular government, we are a federal constitutional republic. And I won't take the time to explain that other than to say this. This is a government as it has been organized of the people, by the people, and for the people. Our elected officials are to represent the people, not their own personal interests. Their power has been limited, both the Supreme Court and the President and all the other branches. Their power has been limited by the Constitution over the citizens of the United States of America. You will find that to be true. But don't miss this next point. We need to understand that even in our government, most of those who are in official positions are unsaved, they are not Christians, and they have no interest in what God would have. We need to understand that. We should expect nothing different from them. Christians, this is all fundamental. As Christians, we are responsible first to God above all. We are responsible to be a shining light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation by scripture. It's found in Philippians. We are to be responsible to preach the gospel, the good news. We are responsible to walk with God. It is not our responsibility. Please get this. Today's church in general, in my opinion, has missed this next point. As Christians, we are not here to change the culture. We are not here to Christianize it. Nor are we to make the government Christian. We are here to preach the gospel. We are to here, here to live as a life. And I could go through scriptural example after scriptural example in which godly people lived under terrible conditions and under horrible governments, such as the Lord, such as Daniel, such as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and on I could go with the list. The world don't lose sight of this. We are not to become like our culture, and that's where the church is going. They want to become like the culture. The world needs the message of good news, the gospel. And the world is our mission field. They are not our enemy. Now, 
with some of those fundamentals that will all be supported from Scripture. Let me come to the decision and its implications. In case some of you are not even aware of it, which is possible, although in this day and age it would be a pretty small minority. On Friday, 26th of June, the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage for all 50 states of the Union. If you don't know that, that is already history. I want you to know that I have done some reading, but I have not read the entire ruling. I have not had the time to do that since everything has happened. But there are implications. There are implications. First of all, let me say this. The ruling is totally anti-biblical. It is totally anti-biblical. You cannot be a real Christian. I'm not talking professing Christian. And yes, I'm saying this very strong. You cannot be a true Christian and be sympathetic with that sin. Maybe with the person, and maybe by preaching the gospel to them. But there is no way, if you're a true Christian, you can in your heart identify with that sin and be sympathetic when the Lord in the book of Leviticus calls it abominable. When the book of Romans says it is unnatural. End of discussion. That's God's take on it. And make no mistake about the implications of this decision. It has redefined marriage. It is done. It has been redefined. It is no longer between a man and a woman. What they have now, by their assessment, said is that it can be male and male or female and female. I want you to understand some other things that are important on that decision. I've done some research, and I hope you will as well. What was the basis of their decision? I want you to understand that it was not, the basis of the Supreme Court's decision was not the basics of law. In fact, marriage, I don't know if you're aware of this, but marriage is nowhere found in the Constitution of the United States of America. It is that basic to society. Their decision was based solely, not on law, it was based on opinion and more importantly, on philosophy and not the philosophy of God, the philosophy of man. I found it interesting that Justice Kennedy, who was part of those in favor of this, stated herself this, he stated himself this, that the decision that we made was based upon, and here is the three elements that were stated, the individual's authority related to sexuality, based the decision on this, 
that the individual has the right to decide what sex they are and what they will do. Number two, that marriage is a fundamental right of the individual. And while that sounds good, they have already redefined marriage not as a husband and wife, but marriage as fundamental right to marry whoever you will as an individual. And third, that the decision was based on a privileged context, and all of this I quote, for the raising of children and upholding marriage. It was based on a decision of raising children. You cannot have children without a male and female, folks. In the decision, it's not only my opinion, but by the reading of even the Chief Justice, and I read some of his comments and several of the other comments, in coming up with that decision, the Supreme Court totally ignored, if not to make it worse, even attacked the entire history and tradition of our country. That's from Chief Justice. They had complete disregard for God and his word and what we claim as one nation under God. Total disregard. They have placed themselves, according to three justices, the fourth one didn't, I didn't see a comment on that one. They, meaning the Supreme Court, have placed themselves without restraint and have put themselves in the role of playing God. Do you understand that that's what Satan did? Do you understand how strong that is? That's what has happened. A decision has come down that affects you and I as we live in the United States of America that is absolutely, totally unbiblical. So now what? What do we do? How do we react? What should we do? Those are just fundamental things that we need to understand. In no particular order, let me state a few things to you and we'll look at one particular text only for time's sake. Let me begin with this. As a Christian, do not compound the issue. What? Don't compound it by a sinful reaction yourself. There is a tendency, even among believers, and in our own nature. When I first heard the news, I was steaming. That's why I'm still here, and I couldn't even go away. However, we can't let our emotions take over. We are not to malign the character of anybody. These are unsaved people that made this decision. We are not to become an unruly citizen of the United States of America. <clears throat> we are not to try to defeat this issue by violence or murder or any such thing that is unbiblical. 
That is not the proper approach, and it only makes it worse and undermines, most of all, the testimony of Jesus Christ. We are, where possible, to use proper procedures, such as voicing opposition like I am doing right now, such as using proper legal matters. There are certain matters that still can be done. There are laws that still could be passed. And some of our legislators and some of the uh, companies, if you will, not the right word, but the organizations that are in existence, that is their primary job, and that's what they do. And that is fine. Those are legal matters. And you can write your senators, and you can voice your opinion. One of the problems is Christians are too silent. I believe wholeheartedly, folks, as I'm addressing you as the local assembly, there are, there is no more room for silent Christians. If you are a silent Christian, you had best take a look to see if you are a Christian. If you know what the Lord expects, and you know that that is contrary to the word of God. You are not to go out and riot. That is not your primary job, but at the same time when it's brought up, you cannot remain silent. Or you're denying that you really believe the word of God. So you must not be silent, but you must be wise. How do we do that? First off, You've heard it, and I think it's now even greater upon us. And it'll take some time, but you need to prepare for persecution. Because if you take a stand for the word of God, and by the way, again, churches will not because it's easy. Christians will not because they'll just adapt the culture under the term of love. And this congregation has been taught what true love is and should know the difference. It is not love to leave sin like that undisciplined. You will be called a bigot. You will be called a supporter of hate crimes that has already in one day been circulated. And the future, though it may be somewhat distant, of religious restriction is upon us. There will be the attacks on churches, on tax-exempt status, on all other kinds of issues that will face us as a church and school. How do I move forward then, Pastor Dan? Turn with me to John chapter 17. While I won't turn to it, we know that the scriptures say we're not to be just people that know the word and to be a hearer of the word, but we are to be doers also. Isn't that true? Yes. We are also called by the Lord not only to be doers of the word, but to be shining lights in the world. We are told to know the truth. 
and to stand for it. John chapter 17, I think, gives us a good example. Verses 13 through 19. Commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to catch this. But now I come to you, Jesus says, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why? Isn't this sound like Peter? Because they are not of the world. How? Even as I am not of the world. He lived here. He walked. He ate. He talked with people. He was kind. He was submissive. He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. He did those things. He didn't just tell us to do it. So we are in the same, we are different, the same way he's different. How is this? Verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. For some of us, we probably wish we were pilgrims right now and could go to another part of the world and start all over again. But that's not what God has for us. He says, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We'll explain that. He does. Sanctify, that means to set them apart. How are Christians to be set apart? Sanctify them what? In the truth. Folks, there is truth. You get too many professing Christians who say there is no truth. It's not black and white. I can't understand it. And we need to be what? It's pretty straightforward in this area. God created us male and female. God designed marriage. He brought a man to a woman. They had to be fruitful and multiply. It's his design. It's straightforward. That which is not that way is unnatural. I don't care how pleasurable it is or how acceptable it is to people in this world. By God's standard, it's unacceptable. But they need to be saved. So, he says, sanctify them in the truth. And notice what he says. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world in the same way. For their sakes I sanctify myself, and they themselves also may be sanctified. How? In truth. What separates us from our government? What separates us from the unsaved? What separates us from these things? It is the truth of the word of God. What we need more of, not less of, is the word of God. Now, I understand I'm talking to the choir. And you know what I mean by that expression. I understand that. But you need to understand that in the Christian movement today, there is less preaching that's going on, and people want less of the word of God, and they want more of entertainment, more of this, more of that, and more of everything else but the word of God, and the sermon is drawn down to 10 or 15 minutes. I have personally... For those of you who don't know this, some of you do, have faced this even in this church. Where they thought the messages were too long. People want less of the word of God, and we need more of it. Because if you don't know what the word of God, you can't be separated from the world the way you should be separated, neither can I. 
And if you move out of this area, you're looking for a church, you had best start looking for a church that preaches the word of God first. Forget about the teens, forget about the youth, forget about the music, forget about everything else. Those things will come. If your priority is those things, I'm going to tell you straightforward, you're looking for the wrong thing. And that's whether you leave here or you don't. You need the word of God. Why? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow by it. We need Christians that are growing, that understand how to live in their world, that know the word of God. Why? Because it's the word of God that's sharper. It's living. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of joint and marrow, and is a discerner of even the thoughts and intents of the heart. That is what gets down to where we live. We need the word of God. We're not called to be scholars. You say, you just said that we need the word of God. Yes, but we need to be doers of the word. We first need to know what it says. And then we need to live what we know it says. By the grace of God. And with God's help. And we need to stand true to it. Even in the resistance of government. If so be that we get thrown into the fiery furnace or get beheaded for the cause of Christ as long as we're standing on truth. We are not here to change the culture. Too many Christians are so busy trying to change an unsaved world to make it a Christian world. It doesn't work that way. I was unsaved and in that world and I got saved when I heard the truth and now I'm to live and rejoice in it so that the world sees me and looks to the Savior and are drawn to him and hear the gospel and they get saved. It's not to Christianize the world. We're not to make the world like Christianity. We're to preach and teach them and point them to God. And do not ever minimize, again, the word of God. We need it. And we need to live it. Okay, fine, we need to know the word of God. What else, Pastor Dan? Don't malign. I have no right to malign the president. I don't agree with a lot that the president does. But I am responsible to pray for him. And if he draws the line and I have to lose my life, so be it. To stand on the word of God. But I don't malign him. Why? My second point to you as to what we should do is remember what our mission is. Let me start with this. And you test it to see if it's true or not true. God has not changed. He's the same from Genesis as he will be through Revelation. God never changes. He hasn't changed. The truth doesn't change. You see, that's why the word of God, in spite of what is, we're told today, this is relevant for our culture. They need this to understand the truth. And you have it. Truth doesn't change. The scripture doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. It isn't Jesus Christ plus somebody else. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. 
It was the Messiah promised by God right from the beginning. It hasn't changed. He's coming back. Even if it's not popular. And our mission hasn't changed. Just because the Supreme Court came down with a decision doesn't change our mission, folks. What do you mean? You and I are charged, who, who profess Christ and know him, are charged to walk with him. Walk worthy of the vocation to which you've been called. And too many Christians are not living a holy life and pleasing God, and that's part of the problem. So they can excuse the sin that comes along. Or sympathize with it. We need to walk with God. We need to be a light that draws others to Christ, that draws others to the truth. Ask yourself, is that the type of light that you are at work? Is that the type of person that you are with those that you can? And by the way, I'm charging myself. I mentioned refereeing. I was at a physical fitness meeting that I had to go to. And due to circumstances, things got confused and I ended up at the wrong place. And then I had to get in the car and yes, I broke the speed limit because I had to get back to the right place. And I'm just confessing as real. But what I really want to get to is this. The thing that struck me the most was the people waited for me. Because that meant everything to my testimony, what they said. They said if that was anyone else, one of them said, we would not have waited. But because of my integrity, that went a long way. You see, whether or not you're refereeing, whether you're standing in a pulpit, whether you're at work, whether you're in your neighborhood, it doesn't matter what the gossip circles say. What matters is that you're living for Christ. Part of our mission is to preach the word. It isn't to be standing in a pulpit. We're interacting all, why do you live that way? Why are you the way you are? Because I belong to Christ. There's sin in the world, yes, but Christ has given a solution. There's good news. You and I are responsible to preach the word. We ought to seek to change hearts, not culture. Seek to change your heart. How do you change a heart? With the word of God. Let the word of God penetrate. Individually, a couple of quick things. And I have to try to summarize some of this. But individually, I would challenge all of us to speak the truth, but do it in love. That's how to do it. Do it in love. Speak the truth. Call what is wrong, wrong. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Do it in a way that gives hope. Be a good citizen to the point that you can be. What is that? By praying for your government. Be honest. How often do you pray? How many of you, don't raise your hand. How many of you even prayed? I remember two days before the decision, we were at the dinner table, and we, I, that was one of the things we prayed for, because they said, I don't know what this decision is going to be. Are you even praying for those things? Even, do you even know who your leaders are? Above all, don't be governed by your emotions. Remember what we've learned from 1 Peter. First Peter said we're to be of sound mind, sound thinking. What, what this requires of us to do is think it through. Find out the information, get the facts. That's why I've tried to summarize some of these things for you. 
and put it in perspective, but okay, now what do we do? If we let our emotions take over, we will start talking derogatorily about our leaders and, and the country and all of this stuff. That's not the thing to do. But it's not to push it aside. It's to speak the truth and say that it's wrong by God's design. We say we're a one nation under God. And by the way, you know something? We still are because we're still subject to him. But by practice, we are no longer a nation under God. We're no longer concerned with what he wants. And it's terrible to me the way they use Christianity and they use the name of God. And I stood in this room on 9-11. And we had the biggest attendance that I can ever remember on a Wednesday night in this church. And I spoke after 9-11 and I said that night that things will change. And the emotions of people coming out to church and being interested in spiritual things and our governments praying on the steps and all that took place and crying out to God for help will all disappear. And it did. And it has. Because it was just emotion. Emotions are a good thing, but it's not to lead us. We'll be led with sound thinking and truth. Do not govern by emotions. Let your sh light shine. Remember that the world is not your home. And be careful you don't sin. What about as a church? There are some things that you can expect. The elders are already in the process of working on it. By the way, you can't prevent the world from doing what they're doing. We can't. We should expect it. But you can still be wise. We are in the process of getting all of our documents reviewed so that our constitution, our statement of faith, what we teach, what uh, the school stands for, and our staff, so that those documents will be proper. We're getting that looked at so that we'll line up with what we do believe and there'll be no question. What will that mean? I don't know in the future. It could mean the day comes that the school can no longer exist or the church. We can't meet like this. We're not there now. There's no panic. We're here to live for Christ. And the key is to continue to do that. But above all, we should not be surprised. And this is going to lead into the next message in Peter. Because when we pick it up in chapter 4, verse 12, that's his opening words. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you, watch this, for your testing as though something strange happened to you. We ought not to find this strange the Supreme Court came down with that decision. We ought not to find it strange that the world is pursuing sin. We shouldn't find it strange at all. We should, surprise, we should be surprised if things go in our favor. That's what he's saying. So what does that mean? Is it pessimistic? No. It's a test of your faith. It's a test of my faith. Will we stand for the truth of the word of God? And that's why I said, the silent Christian, the United States of America is so soft, and Christianity has been so soft because there's been lack of persecution, that it's adapted the culture and you can't distinguish and that's exactly what the Lord said. 
He said, the tares are growing with the wheats. Let them grow because only he knows the difference. And he says when he comes back on the earth, will he even find faith? That may be shocking to an audience like this. But that only happens in the process of time when people who profess to believe one thing act differently. We need to stand. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we need to live our convictions. The evidence of salvation is that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you speak it with your mouth. Maybe it will cause even people in this room to take a hard look at their own salvation. That's a good thing. Maybe for some it will wake us up to be willing, whatever might come, to get into the word of God and put the priority on the word of God that we should have and then to stand for the truth. Remember what the apostle said, the only time we should not be submissive or resistant is when it comes down to them saying, do this, and they're charging us with obeying man rather than obeying God. And then the apostles took their stand and said, you judge whether it's right to obey God or to obey man. And I pray that this church and that everyone that's hearing this today would come on the side that will stand for the truth. Will stand with God even if it means your life. Because if you truly belong to him, you're just passing through anyway. Might we continue to pray for our government? Pray for our leaders. But above all, might we not compounded by sinning ourselves and might we live for the glory of God in the midst of persecution that may come let's close in prayer Heavenly Father I just pray that you'd help impress the truth of the word of God on my heart first and in this congregation I thank you for the freedom that you've given us in the United States of America. Father, I love this country. I thank you for allowing me to be living here for all of us. But Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that you created us in your image and likeness, male and female. I thank you for the gift of marriage. I thank you for the gift of children and its product that I will be enjoying the next few days, even with my own family. Thank you so much for your goodness. I pray that you'd help us to stand true to the word of God. We pray for our nation's leaders. Father, what they need is salvation. What they need is to come to know you personally. And I pray that whatever the laws of the land might be, that you'd help us to live for your honor and glory with the time that passes in this world, for it passes so fast, so that we would truly, when we come home to be with you, here, well done. That is my prayer for every person in this room. And I pray that if any are in here that are unsaved, that you'd open up their hearts, that they might see the glorious news, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.